0: What's amazing about the Bible is that if you open your Bible and you notice all those little lowercase letters next to all the verses, those lowercase letters actually show you all the cross-references of times when the Bible quotes the Bible. Most of us don't realize just how much the Bible is quoting itself. But I want you to turn to one passage this morning where the Bible is going to misquote itself. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We are going to see technically a biblical misquote of Scripture. And before you get nervous turning to Matthew chapter 2, let me remind you that God's Word is inerrant. Inerrant. I-N-E-R-R-A-N-T. It means it is true in all that it affirms. It is without mistake. And that includes even the times when it quotes other parts of the Bible. But what's interesting is that in Matthew chapter 2, it is not technically going to be God that misquotes the Bible. It's going to be a person that misquotes the Bible that God is going to use for his greater purposes. What man is going to say errantly in Matthew chapter 2, God is going to redeem and say it inerrantly for our purposes this morning. Because in Matthew chapter 2, the wise men are visiting Bethlehem. They're looking for Jesus and they're going to Herod asking, where is this Messiah? And Herod, the false king in Jerusalem, is obviously very nervous about the birth of the true king. So as a result, he gathers his best religious leaders. He gathers the Pharisees and the scribes to give him counsel on what the Old Testament prophesies about the birth of God's Messiah. And what's amazing is that in verse 5, these religious experts are going to quote him a verse that we looked at last week, one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament predicting the birth of Christ, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Yet they're going to say to Herod, these religious experts supposedly, they're going to quote this verse with one key mistake. That God is going to use for his greater glory. Because they quote Micah 5.2 in verse 6 where they say, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. That's exactly what it says in Micah chapter 5. But look at this last part. For from you shall come a ruler, and it ends by saying this, who will shepherd my people Israel. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 doesn't say anything about shepherding. But here in Matthew chapter 2, these Pharisees speaking to Herod, they talk about shepherds. They misquote the verse, but God takes their mistake and he puts it in the Bible because he wants us now in the age of the New Testament, when we think about the birth of Christ, God wants us to think about shepherds. There's a reason for that. When we set up the nativity like we do here in our church or like you might in your living rooms, it's easy for us to see Jesus the way most of us see those little shepherd figurines, as cute. Jesus is just a nice, cute, harmless little guy. He cares for sheep. He cares for us. And we put up that little shepherd on the mantle, maybe the little precious moments or, or the thing that we get from Hobby Lobby. We look at the nice little shepherd and we go, oh, isn't that nice? A little, a little shepherd coming to see baby Jesus. And we see Jesus the exact same way. We see him as weak. We see him as cute. We see him as, for the most part, unimportant. And most of all, most of us see Jesus like a little nativity shepherd person, as Someone that we can just put on the mantle. Here you go, Jesus. We'll sit you right here and we'll go about our life and do what we want to do and live our lives according to the way that we see fit as Jesus the shepherd sits cutely and idly by. God's word makes it clear in Matthew chapter 2, as it does in Luke chapter 2, when the birth of Christ is proclaimed first and foremost to shepherds of all people, the Bible wants God's people to think of God as a shepherd. And the fact is, is that most of us do already as we already exclaimed, but we must think of God and his son Jesus Christ as a shepherd in the way that the Bible Define shepherding. So to this morning, we are going to look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to see what God's Word has to say about who shepherds are and how God wants us to think about shepherds. And ultimately, in doing so, will give us a picture of how we should think about Jesus. So in your notes, look with me for your first point which is going to be this, that in the Bible, shepherds consistently represent God's leaders. Shepherds consistently represent God's leaders. We see this in many different examples. For example, the patriarchs in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's who we call the patriarchs, the fathers of the nation of Israel, they're all described as having sheep. We see that in Genesis 12 and 26 and 47. We see later on in the Bible, we see that Moses, before he is made a shepherd leading God's people out of Egypt through the Exodus, we see that even Moses for 40 years actually served as a physical, true shepherd. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7, we see God describe the judges in the Old Testament as shepherds. I keep looking back because I don't have my screen back there. If we can't fix that, that's okay, but don't mind me as I look up every now and then, or just wave if we're not getting it. The judges are described as shepherds in the book of Judges, and even Joshua is described as a shepherd. When Moses is nearing the end of his life and he has no descendants to take his place, he goes to God saying, "Who will shepherd your people. Look at what it says there at the end in Numbers. Moses says, who shall lead them out and bring them in? These are all shepherd images, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And so the Lord says to Moses, take Joshua. The prophets were even described as shepherds. Amos was a shepherd from Decoah. Zechariah was called by God in Zechariah chapter 11 to, as a prophet, function as one who shepherds or leads God's people. Amazingly, even Cyrus, who was not saved, is not a Jew, is not part of the people of God. Because God used Cyrus, the king of Persia, to lead people back into the promised land, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the wall, God even is willing to call Cyrus his shepherd. It's somewhat remarkable that God would have such a pattern of associating his leaders used for his purposes as shepherds. Because in ancient culture, shepherds were used for very high and lofty things, and also for very low and pathetic things. On one hand, ancient culture despised shepherds. We see so many examples of that. We have ancient writings from the Pharisees, not part of the Bible, obviously, where they describe shepherds as dishonest and untrustworthy. Even in Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, when Joseph and his brothers go into Egypt, it says specifically that the Egyptians thought that shepherding was an abomination. That's why they were able to live in the land of Goshen, because that was a shepherding region and the Egyptians had no value for that area. Even Aristotle, he calls shepherds the laziest of men who lead an idle life. Shepherding was not seen as a hard job. It was seen as a job that could be done for the lazy or for the unintelligent or for the untalented. Ancient culture, both Jewish and Gentile, looked down upon shepherds, which is why it's amazing that God would want to call his leaders shepherds. On the other hand, there's a great irony in ancient history that as much as ancient cultures hated shepherds and looked down upon human shepherds, they would consistently, in almost all ancient cultures, call their kings and their gods shepherds. We think of God as our shepherd because of Psalm 23, but other secular cultures also would use language describing their deities as shepherds. The Egyptians, for example who thought that shepherds were an abomination. Ironically, when they saw their pharaohs, they understood their pharaohs as being, one, the sons of the gods, sent by the gods to rule them. But even specifically, we have dozens of examples of the Egyptians calling their pharaohs shepherds over them. One of the most obvious examples of this that most of us have probably looked over is if you remember pictures of mummies of the ancient pharaohs They're always holding two things in their hand. They're holding a scepter in one hand, but you'll often remember from the pictures that they are holding a shepherd's crook in the other hand because the Egyptians saw their pharaohs as gods and kings who served as shepherds. The Mesopotamians, uh, Mesopotamians, they considered their god Anil, a faithful shepherd. The Babylonian creation story, the Enuma Elish calls Marduk a shepherd over all the gods of the world. The Akkadians, again and again, we see examples of ancient culture calling their leaders shepherds. Homer calls Agamemnon in the Iliad a shepherd. Plato and Aristotle, the same Aristotle who criticized shepherds, lifts up shepherds as a model for the perfect king. So we have to understand that when we think of shepherding in ancient culture, we think of a very high and lofty ideal And we also think of a very low and despised vocation. Shepherds were the kind of people that were used to describe gods and kings, and also ones who were called an abomination in ancient culture. And this is who God decides that he wants to associate with his leaders. The most famous example would probably even be David as a shepherd. David was a shepherd boy. He talks in 1 Samuel 17 about how he would defend his sheep from the mouths of lions. He wasn't a weak shepherd. He wasn't a cute little shepherd boy. He was one who protected his sheep. He defended them. He had might. He would go after enemies to take care of his sheep. And God even, when he called David to be king over Israel... He specifically describes David not just as a king over Israel, but as one who shepherds God's people. One of the reasons why God in the Old Testament put such an emphasis on calling his leaders shepherds is not just because they were copycatting what other cultures were doing. In fact, actually other cultures were copycatting what God was doing. Even the rocks cry out to the glory of God. We see even secular culture, they will follow in their culture certain things that still ultimately will point to God. This would be an example of that. But the reason why God consistently calls his leaders shepherds is because he needs to remind us that we are sheep. Most of us don't like really thinking of ourselves as sheep. We like to think that we are in control of our lives. We like to see ourselves as ones who we rule over ourselves. We are kings of our own castle. We plan out our future. But sheep were animals who were famous for being slaves to the here and now. Maybe you've even seen YouTube videos of one sheep following another, another sheep following another to the point where it's just a whole herd of sheep just running in a circle together. Because all they can think about is about what is right in front of them. You'll remember Psalm 23, the good shepherd has to literally put his sheep by still water. He has to make them lie down because the sheep do not do it themselves. Even modern farmers today can tell you how useless and how helpless sheep are. And by God calling his leaders shepherds, it reminds each and every one of us that we are sheep. We are the helpless ones. We are the weak ones. We are the ones in need of a provider. We are the ones in need of a protector. And the first step to following Jesus, the first step to actually honoring God in your Christian life is recognizing that you are a sheep and that he is a shepherd. That as a sheep, we can depend on him. As a sheep, we can follow him. As a sheep, we can have an attitude that we are completely helpless in of ourselves. And if you don't realize that right now, by God's grace, you will someday. And at that opportunity, you'll have the choice either to harden your heart as a sheep and insist that you're not a sheep or that you're somehow different from all other sheep, or in those moments of testing, maybe you're in that season right now, you can choose to follow God's shepherd. Because all throughout the Bible, when God talks about shepherds, they are consistently used for his leaders. And it's because God sees his people like sheep. Zechariah chapter 10, 2 Chronicles 18, Jeremiah 50, just a few of dozens of examples where God looks down on his people, especially during times of sin, during times of exile, when they're drifting from him, when they're wandering away, when they're doing what is right in their own eyes, like you and me are so easily common to do. He looks down on them with compassion, like a shepherd who sees scattered sheep. He says that his people wander like sheep. They're scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. He calls his people lost sheep. God's not just calling the Israelites that. He's calling you that. Isaiah 53 says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And because of that, God knows that he must send us a shepherd. What's amazing is that even as we look at David as a shepherd, as we look at Moses as a shepherd and Joshua as a shepherd, we could spend hours, we could spend years expositionally looking at how God sends shepherds for his people in the Old Testament, but there is one consistent theme that exists in all examples of God's leaders in the Old Testament, which is that they all fail, that every shepherd that God sends at one point or another acts more like a sheep than a shepherd. And at Israel's darkest times in history, when God looks at the wandering of his sheep, he doesn't blame the sheep only. He also blames the shepherds or the leaders that have been placed over them. Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 1 to 10 would be an amazing chapter to read later this week, describing that, how God condemns bad shepherds. But in Isaiah chapter 56 verse 11, and in Jeremiah 50 verse 6 again, we see that there are bad shepherds who have taken over God's people, that the reason why God's people are wandering is not just because they are sheep, but because the leaders, the kings, the prophets that God has put over them have also failed them. We need a better shepherd. Even today, people will follow a senior pastor. They'll follow a denomination. They'll follow a book author. They'll follow a host of a podcast will follow these Christian leaders thinking that they have all the answers. And they may be good, they may be biblical, they may be Christ-like, but at the end of the day, they are still sheep, just like you and me. We need a better shepherd, which is why your second point is this, that shepherds don't just represent God's leaders. Shepherds also represent God himself. God chose to describe himself as a shepherd. He voluntarily did that. The way he revealed himself in the Bible was to show himself as one who is a shepherd. Again, Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 10 through 17, in response to the bad shepherds, God talks about how he will replace the bad shepherds by himself being a good shepherd. Jacob, even in Genesis chapter 49, calls God his shepherd. Oftentimes we think that David is the first one to call God his shepherd, but really it is Jacob when he is blessing his sons. in Genesis 49, he calls, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 48 verse 15, he calls God his shepherd. Psalm 23 is an amazing passage, because it's David who is king, calling God by his personal name and saying, "That's my shepherd." He's not referring to another leader or ruler here on earth. He's not referring to a Pharaoh. He says that the one who leads me, the one who guides me, his name is Yahweh. He's the one that makes me lie down by green pastures, he's the one that brings me by still waters. King David could understand God as one who was shepherding over him. Here's what's amazing about a shepherd. Unlike all other keepers of animals in ancient times, unlike all other occupations and farmers, shepherds spent time with their animals. That's what made a shepherd unique, and actually that's what made a shepherd despised by culture, because a shepherd, both day and night, would be physically present with his sheep. He would go up with them. He would go down with them. He would spend the day with them. He would even spend the night with them. Oftentimes, many wonder why would the angels over Bethlehem declare the glory of God and announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds of all people? Because at that time of night, they were the only people that were around. Everyone else was at home. Everyone else was in their bed. The shepherds were out in the field with their sheep, so much so that shepherds were famously known to Smell like their sheep. People knew that their shepherds were, that people were shepherds because they smelled like sheep. They had to be with them. They had to be present with them. They had to be what the Bible calls keeper over the sheep, one who was always by their side. It's why when God asked Cain where Abel is, Cain says, Am I my brother's keeper? He's being sarcastic. He says, Am I the one that always has to be with my brother? Do I always have to be by his side? Cain was showing his. On his lack of love for his brother, but by God calling himself a shepherd in Psalm 23 and in so many other examples, he shows us that he is the God who is present with us. He's not just a distant ruler sitting on a throne looking down from a mountain for things to arbitrarily smite. He's a God that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. You might be in a valley of the shadow of death right now. What makes God unique as a shepherd is that by being a shepherd, that shows that he is present with you through it. He's not just watching over you outside of it. God goes through the valleys with his sheep. He spends time with them. He abides with them. And God desires for his sheep to abide with him as the shepherd. All throughout the Psalms, not just Psalm 23, we see examples of God being called a shepherd. Psalm 28, verse 9. Psalm 77, verse 20. One of my favorites is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Isaiah 40 is an amazing chapter. Of scripture, Where it says that God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to gather you in in his arms. He wants to carry you. He, He wants to be leader of your life. He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to command and direct every step that you take and take care of you because you need it. Because you are a sheep. Because we are sheep that have gone astray. But praise the Lord that we have a creator and a God who even though we are sheep, he says that he will be our shepherd. Shepherds represent God himself. We should see God as one who is present with us, who comes down to us, who doesn't just send an intermediary to come down who is not related to him, but actually in the form of Jesus Christ comes down and walks among us. Which leads us to our third and final point. Which is really a combination of the first two points. That shepherds don't just represent God's leaders. They don't just represent God himself. They represent God's Messiah. Which by definition, the Messiah is one who is God's appointed leader and also God himself. When God talks about sending his appointed one, when it's sending this chosen one... He specifically says, like in Ezekiel 34, 22-24, that he is going to send somebody to shepherd them. In fact, in Ezekiel 34, we don't have time to look at it, but he calls this Messiah. He names him David. He says that someday in the future, I'm going to send David. David had already lived and died at that point in Ezekiel. But God says that someday in the future, I'm going to send my Messiah. His name is going to be David, and he will be a shepherd. Micah chapter 5, verse 7. The Messiah is described as one who will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In Micah chapter 7, verse 14, it doesn't just describe the Messiah as a shepherd, but it also describes us as his inheritance. The church, the people of God as the flock which Christ the Messiah, the shepherd, is going to inherit. And then there's that example repeated again in Ezekiel chapter 37 where God says, my servant David, he shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. This future Messiah, he's called a king, yes, but just like the other ancient cultures of that time, God also is saying that this future Messiah, he will be a king, but he will be a king who functions as a shepherd. So All of this leads us to the New Testament where this new shepherd comes. This Messiah is born, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's proclaimed to the shepherds, and the shepherds come and they see him and they proclaim him to those in the city because Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is, as John chapter 10 says, the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He's the one, quoting the Old Testament, by the way, in Matthew chapter 9.36, where he looks out on the people and he has compassion on them. His heart is stirred for them because he saw them and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That just as David wants to go in and just grab the mouth of the lion, that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He sees us being harassed and helpless by our own flesh by our own sinfulness, by the temptations of the world, by those who tickle ears giving messages that diverge from God's word. He looks at us and he has compassion on us. In Jesus the Messiah, the Son of David, the shepherd of God, the Son of God, he wants to shepherd us. It is impossible for God to be your shepherd without choosing to follow by faith. The shepherd that he sent, his son, Jesus Christ. You cannot claim Psalm 23 if you don't claim John 10:11. You can't say that the Lord is my shepherd and not choose to follow Christ as one of his sheep. That is God's intention for us because Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd, as Hebrew 13 says, of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. The big idea is this, that consistently throughout all of Scripture, the Bible talks about shepherds in this way, in a way that represents both God's honor and his humility. There is no better earthly image to describe or illustrate who Jesus is other than to call him a shepherd, Because a shepherd, as we saw in culture, is used to honor kings and gods. But it is also a position that was looked down upon. It was also a position of servitude. That he was like one for whom people did not turn their heads, is what Isaiah says. Shepherds were those kind of people. Shepherds would walk in and out. They would walk back and forth. They would walk up the street and down the street. No one would pay attention to a shepherd. And that's how Jesus is described. That he's God himself, he's the king, yet he also took on the lowliest of forms in order to serve us and to love us. And the most amazing thing about the nativity is that Jesus is the shepherd, but in the moment of his birth, when the shepherds come to see him, he is taking on the role of the lamb. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Being a shepherd shows that God is great, and he is mighty, and he is ruler, and he must be followed. But it also shows that even God himself is willing to humble himself in order to love us. Meaning that for those of us who call us, call ourselves Christians, and who claim the name of Christ in our life, if we want to be like Christ, we also have to be willing to take on the form of a shepherd the form of a servant, one who serves others, one who spends time with others, even if it means that we become smelly as a result, that we can exemplify Christ and point to him as the good shepherd by living in a way of servitude and humility and compassion and love for others, not simply because it is nice, but because it is Christ-like and it exemplifies the spirit living within us. And it gives us an opportunity then to share the words of God, inerrant and inspired, perfect in everything, pointing to Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, born in a manger in the town of Bethlehem, the shepherd of God. So sheep, let's follow the shepherd. Pray with me.